the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. June 30, 2021. Ilan Omar yesterday with Jake Tapper was asked about the allegations of anti-Semitism against her. Listen to her response. In 2019, you said lawmakers uh, support uh, Israel um, because it's, quote, all about the Benjamins, which implies that politicians only support Israel because of money. There was a tweet from uh, 2012 when you said Israel had hypnotized the world. Do you understand why some of your fellow House Democrats, especially Jews, find that language anti-Semitic? I have welcomed any time, you know, my colleagues have asked to have a conversation, to, to learn from them, for them to learn from me. I think it's really important for uh, these members to realize that they haven't been partners in injustice. They haven't been, um, you know, equally engaging uh, in seeking justice uh, around the world. And I, and I think, you know, I will continue to, to do that. It is important for me as someone who, who knows what it feels like to experience injustice in ways that many of my colleagues don't, uh, to be uh, a voice in finding, finding accountability, uh, asking for mechanisms for justice for those who are maligned, oppressed, um, and who have had injustice um, done to them. I understand a lot of the critique of her comments as anti-Semitic, but I don't think that is the main problem. She was asked about Jewish members of the House of Representatives that sent her a letter recently claiming their offense at her comparing Israel and the United States with Hamas and the Taliban. Her response her response, when always confronted, went like this. It is the continual and routine Ilan Omar dialectic. She states something highly offensive that few other non-minority American leaders could ever get away with. When confronted, she produces a passive-voiced, slight contextualization of how her comments were taken out of context. Democratic leaders like Nancy Pelosi then get to sleep easy at night and get the media to sleep easy at night by laying off Omar by accepting such cavils as apologies. A few weeks will pass. Ilan Omar will resurface and come up for air to give an interview on any given topic. A journalist will ask her about her statements, and she will say she does not apologize and does not feel the need to do so. This is what we got again here. It's the Ilan Omar, sometimes Rashida Tlaib dialectic. But that, again, is not the main offense. That is the strategy of the progressive left. They do this with almost everything they believe with unvarnished purity that they know the vast majority of Americans are not ready for. You've seen this with critical race theory. First, you deny it's as bad as it is and accuse the other side of taking things out of context. Or if that fails, to quell the issue, to quell the issue being promoted with the left hand, the right hand will engage in the leisure domain of claiming the criticism is racist or used to maintain white power structures or preserve privilege.
Never can the merits of the issue be discussed if the promoter of it can take refuge under a banner of diversity or collective or historical oppression. And then there's always the third backstop if the first two fail. Deny it exists at all. You know, you can do this with nearly every product of the left. Think the border crisis right now. Republicans equal racists. There's no crisis at the border. The media should not pay attention to it and will not be granted access to the problem. If there is a problem, and if there was a problem, it was caused by the other guy. You see the strategy in play when it comes to everything from anti-Semitism or critical race theory in and of itself. These patterns of the left always move in tandem. And all of this was in play in selling the Democratic Party's leftism to America last year and really over the past several years. Defund the police, you say? Why, that's a Republican idea we've been told this week. You see how they work. You see the strategy. And it does work. If it did not work, Ilan Omar and Rashida Tlaib would not be in office or on the committees they sit in Congress. If it did not work, you would not see a steady increase in the acceptance of socialism and Marxism in this country. If it did not work, you would not see increasing numbers of far-left activists and activists honeycombing this administration, starting with the vice president and the president's domestic policy counselor and cabinet and then sub-cabinet officials. But we haven't still yet even really gotten to the main problem in what Ilan Omar said. It was this, again, to remind, quote, I think it's really important for these members, these being Jewish Democrats, I think it's really important for these Jewish Democrats to realize that they haven't been partners in justice. They haven't been, you know, equally engaging in seeking justice around the world. And I think, you know, I will continue to do that. It is important for me as someone who knows what it feel like, feels like to experience injustice in ways that many of my colleagues don't and to be a voice in finding accountability, asking for mechanisms of justice for those who are maligned, oppressed, and who have had injustice done to them. Close quote. Never mind the collective guilt. Every elected Jewish liberal in Congress has not been a partner in justice of a people who have not been equally engaging in seeking justice around the world, compared to who? Are we engaging in group responsibility right now? Because if Ilan Omar wants us to compare her to the various groups she belongs to and has belonged to, I think we're going to have a very hard time settling on the same dictionary that defines the words justice and injustice. That is the point I was making yesterday. Group, li- group libel, collective responsibility, it is the essence of prejudice. It is not obvious to the point I have to ask, is it not obvious to the point I have to ask if we've moved so far from common sense I actually have to explain this? Let's do it. Prejudice and racism are the judging of people by their group, ethnic or religious or racial membership. If you want to add gender, that's fine too. It is the negative assessment of someone, an individual, because of negative a priori assessments made of others who share that person's grouping. This is how you get, ultimately, genocide, ethnocide, religious side, etc. Wholesale slaughter of everyone in that group 
to rid the toxins of a society, and of course you would get slavery as well. It is this thinking that backstopped nearly every war in the history of the world until the Enlightenment. And even then it did not surcease because of regimes, think the USSR, China, Nazi Germany, Cambodia, that refused to accept the Enlightenment and principles of the West. So if group responsibility and collective guilt is the chief badge of prejudice or racism, how come it becomes acceptable, even desirable and appetizing for political reasons here in America? How can it be possible a country proud of defeating regimes of terror that built their power and their terror on claims of collective responsibility over class and race? How is it possible that can be adopted here? How is it possible regimes we were so proud to defeat and that based their power on concepts, concepts like the Untermenschen, the untouchables, Leben Swerts, Leben, lives unworthy to be lived, and the Nomas Likali and Refuseniks, the undesirables in the Soviet Union, dissidents based on criminalization and psychiatric mental health problems? Political and religious ideas. How is it possible we pride ourselves on defeating those things, those kinds of regimes, only to import, deploy, and justify their very tactics here in America now? And let us be clear, this includes censorship and state-approved journalism as well. <clears throat> the philosopher Leo Strauss described this early on, writing... What was a tolerably accurate description of German thought in World War II would now appear to be true of Western thought in general. It would not be the first time that a nation defeated on the battlefield and, as it were, annihilated as a political being has deprived its conqueror of the most sublime fruit of victory by imposing on him the yoke of its own thought. Whatever might be true of the thought of the American people, American social science has adopted the very attitude toward natural right, which in World War II could still be described with some plausibility as characteristically German. Strauss would go on to write, present-day American social science is dedicated to the proposition that all men are endowed by the evolutionary process or by a mysterious fate with all kinds of urges and aspirations, but certainly with no unalienable rights. To reject natural right is tantamount to saying that all right is positive right, and this means primarily that what is right is defined exclusively by the legislatures and the courts of the various countries, close quote. Still, we may not have gotten to yet the main problem here. Ilan Omar told Jake Tapper, again, the Jewish liberals haven't been equally engaging in seeking justice around the world. And it's important for me as someone who knows what it feels like to experience injustice in ways that many of my colleagues don't, to be a voice in finding accountability. Never mind Omar's views about supporting entities that have no democracy, no LGBTQ rights, no abortion rights or religious rights against countries that have all those in abundance. Just never mind the fact that she supports so many of the former while opposing so many of the latter. That is the irony here, if not hypocrisy, if not exposure of intellectual and factual fraud. People who live in the countries Omar supports flee to the countries Omar criticizes. I'll repeat that. People who live in the countries Omar supports flee to the countries Omar criticizes. 
And by the way, let us not ignore that given Omar's perverse view of what countries are just and unjust, it should be dismissed totally out of hand that she is someone we should listen to when it comes to seeking justice around the world and lecturing on injustice. She knows nothing of those concepts. Her views of them are truly perverse because they are inverse. Her view is that America was a tyranny for the past four years. Is that someone who knows something about justice and injustice? That's what she said. Do you take that person's view as sound on concepts of justice and injustice? America was a tyranny for the last four years. Well, then, what do you call Saudi Arabia, Iran, Russia, Soviet Union, China, Cambodia? What do you call real tyrannies once America is now the new tyranny? As Sam Kumar has documented, we are listening to a person America rescued from one of the worst hell holes on earth who tells us that the country that saved her is racist from its founding, overly sensitive to some people doing something on 9-11, and she blamed the U.S. for terrorist attacks on the Kenyan Mall that killed 70 people and wounded 200 more. She wanted a Minnesota judge to show leniency to a man who tried to obtain fake passports to go fight for ISIS. She blamed the U.S. for the Venezuela coup. She she supported the terrorist organization Hamas as it fired rockets at Israel. She complained about the way Americans pronounce al-Qaeda. She made the false claim that U.S. forces killed thousands of Somalis during Black Hawk Down's mission that included the hashtag Not Today Satan. As you can see, this is a pattern of highly questionable behavior and intellect at every turn. Omar has sided with people who march down the streets and chant death to America while burning our flag. This is someone who gets to have moral high ground proclaiming and declaiming on justice. Well, it's not new. We had the likes of this in the 1960s and 1970s, too, with people like Angela Davis and others. The difference between now and then is back then the evil did not receive the countenance of the just. And that, by the way, is Elie Wiesel's definition of confusion, when the evil receive the countenance of the just. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. That gets my producer, Bill, uh, back into a little more of my of our modern era, doesn't it? You like that a little better, Bill? It's closer to Rush on the uh, – what's, <clears throat> what's the equation? What's the, what's the, what's the, what's the line? Uh, at, at, at one end is Rush, on, uh, the Bill Music Taste. What, what Bill Music call? Matrix. Sure. Yeah, the Bill Music Matrix. So the far right end at 10 is Rush. What's zero? What's where the f- they live? What's zero? Uh, I don't know. Share? I, I know zero when I hear it. Share, Dixie chicks. Yeah, share. There you go. Share on the Dixie chicks. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Bill Crosby. Bill Cosby is out of prison um, with his conviction overturned. I, I just wasn't watching that and didn't see that coming. He spent about two years. Reactions um, vary. And I'll I'll tell you mine, as someone who has long loved Bill Cosby, um, up until the allegations became 
public, or when I learned about them when they became public, huge fan uh, for a lot of the things he did, including education through mass media using his series Fat Albert uh, on Fat Albert to teach kids moral tales. Um, but uh, I, I believe he, his his victory dance is not going to go down well, and it's unfortunate he lived his life in a way that doesn't allow us really to cite or invoke or quote him anymore. And he was just so darned fun and good to quote once upon a time. They say um, a good a good name in the Bible. It is said a good name is a price above rubies. And I um, I think when you ruin it, you take yourself down to uh, to something below. When you take yourself down, you take yourself something down below to the gutter, as he did. And uh, I I find um, I, I I find no relief in the fact that he has been relieved of his sentences. On if you look why they are interesting reasons. But they're technicalities, what we used to call technicalities. Another passing moment, a moment in what we might call passages, is the passing of Don Rumsfeld as Secretary of Defense under the, in the George W. Bush administration. He was also Secretary of Defense in the Ford administration. He was in the Office of Economic Opportunity, running that office and organization uh, welfare, in other words, under Richard Nixon, who knew that he was a congressman before that, and then of course uh, resigned into mostly quietude after <clears throat> the um, evident and increasing failures of a lot of policies that, quite frankly, I don't believe were his fault. But nonetheless, he had to take responsibility for. Heck of a man. Um, do you, do any of you remember when NutraSweet was invented? Do any of you remember? Um, their marketing strategy of mailing gumballs to vast numbers of Americans. Do you remember this at all? This was one of the most brilliant marketing strategies ever. I'll look it up on the break, but I think it was around 1981 or so, 1980, 81. Um, the company that invented NutraSweet was the company Don Rumsfeld headed, Searle, I'm pretty sure. I, I'm sh pretty sure I have this very close to right. And it was his idea. His idea was to mail samples of gumballs made with NutraSweet to vast numbers of Americans as part of the marketing strategy. Um, if I don't have that right, I'll, uh, I'll apologize for it or uh, address it. But uh, just, just a huge, huge impact on public policy in the, um, in the 20 and 21st century. You know, in the Nixon administration, he was known as the liberal and um, one of the interesting things about that is just the way the left tends to look at us. I don't think Rumsfeld ever really changed. I believe he became seen as a right-wing fanatic because of the parallax view of the left having moved farther, port, uh, farther uh, portside. That's why I think he got the reputation that he did. But I, I spent a fair amount of time around him. Uh, and um, when I lived in Washington, and he's just someone I always admired. One of the most interesting things in his autobiography, and it's a good autobiography, is he says when <clears throat> Dick Cheney had hearings to become Secretary of Defense in 1989, he didn't receive a single question about Iraq, and then his tenure as Secretary of Defense was dominated, of course, by the first Gulf War. When Rumsfeld had his hearings for Secretary of Defense in 2001, 
He received not a single question about Afghanistan. And of course, not only was the administration defined much by what went on in Afghanistan, we're still talking about it. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-5089-60. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. 34 past the hour brings us our great friend. I usually say good friend, but he's a great friend. He's John Dombrowski. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. His radio show is right here on this station Saturday mornings. Word on Wealth at 7 a.m. Happy Wednesday, John. Hello there, Seth. How are you doing? Fantastic. Uh, let's see. What did I want to ask you about? Oh, yes. We visit this issue every once in a while. But given, particularly in Arizona, John, uh, <clears throat> given the price of housing uh, right now and, you know, kind of where rates are, mm-hmm. uh, interest rates, from a planning perspective, I wanted to ask you what the um, what the thought was on uh, using your home as retirement Using a home for owning a home for retirement purposes, uh, buying off your home, if that makes sense, if you have the option to do that so that you sure. own it outright. Talk to me about home ownership and retirement. Well, it's interesting, right? Because we're still seeing prices dramatically higher. Yep. Uh, there was a recent report out again that uh, you know home prices have risen once again. Uh, what's interesting, real quick on a side note, I did see a report today, lumber prices are dropping about 42% in June. Yeah. Okay. But, of course, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to get your lumber faster right now. That's a whole nother dis- another discussion, the backlog on, uh, on, on some logs. of these commodities. The backlog on logs. Yes, the backlog on wood. Right? Literally a backlog. A backlog, L- Literally right. the thing the word was built for. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> okay. But it's a great. That's a great question. So you know, we all have the American dream to own our house with yep. the white picket fence and so forth. But um, you know, one of the thoughts is part of our plan is as we're paying, you know, throughout our lifetime, we're saving for our retirement, we're paying down our our debt, and at one point when we retire, our home's going to be paid off, and we're going to be able to go and retire happily ever after. But if you think about the cost of money today. If you could get a, a loan on your home for 2.25% or whatever it might be for a 30-year fixed interest rate mortgage, think about 2.25%. Now, I'm not saying that the stock market, there's no guarantee at all in the stock market. But if you could invest your money and diversify your portfolio correctly over time, uh, the markets have a, a way of, as we saw the S&P 500 again hitting another all-time high. Through all sorts of economic downturns, the markets still over time have recovered. Could you take money that if you had a $400,000 home, instead of having 400000 of equity in that home, possibly using some of that money uh, in, an, in an investment, a good, well-diversified investment for your time horizon and ultimately for your risk tolerance, uh, to be able to earn more than 2.25%. On that money, and if you could, uh, you could make a serious argument that even though it's always great to have your home paid off, in today's world with these low interest rates, it could make sense to actually have a loan on your home, your personal residence, and invest some of that money. So that's just a just a thought outside of the box right now for people who are wondering and contemplating: Should I take money out of my investments and pay off my house? 
it may not be the right decision. Now, you do not have, dramatically, you do not have that point of view with other debts like credit cards. Difference, right? totally different. Right, right. Because, be- 16, because 17, right. 20% interest. And, and the fact that there's no asset, not, not, not maybe necessarily an asset at the end of the road. And there's no tax yeah, benefit. Right. Yeah. You know, the yeah. interest on your home mortgage, depending on your income, yep. you can, and depending on the amount of the loan, is deductible. Perfect. So that's another benefit. Yeah. So if you look at the actual, you know, uh, rate rate of the uh, interest rate, it could be lower than that 2.25 or 2.5% that you have on your home. Some of these jumbo loans, even super jumbo loans, 2.5%. This is unheard of, Seth. We've seen uh, interest rates, again, stabilize again, that 10-year uh, below that 1.5%. And then we've, we're now seeing the markets again hitting all-time highs. So um, this this idea that maybe inflation is transitory, interest rates still not rising the way many people expected, I'm not saying that it can't happen. But for right now, in this moment, uh, as I said, you could probably make a pretty good argument that it doesn't make sense to take a couple hundred thousand dollars out of your 401k, pay taxes on it, and pay off your mortgage. Thank you, John. You Thank you very so. much. And if someone wants to talk about that with me one-on-one to see what their situation's about, let's do it. You can go to our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Securities and advisory services offered through Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, John Dombrowski. Thank you, sir. You Bye-bye. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I am Seth. It is a delight to welcome back to our airwaves, Congresswoman Debbie Lesko, representing Arizona's 8th Congressional District, member of so many important committees. Debbie, welcome back. Good to talk to you. How have you been? How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, I'm Seth? And doing I hope the listeners are doing great. Doing just fine. I don't know what your what your colleagues are up to here exactly. I have a suspicion. Tell me, the House today approved a select committee to probe the January 6th riot. Debbie, and I saw your colleague Adam Kinzinger, who voted for this, one of two Republicans to do so, said we can't just sweep January 6th under the rug. But I, I don't know what rug he's talking about. I don't think it's been swept under any rugs. I hear about it every day. What's your sense of all this, Debbie? Well, I think it's going to be another political show by Nancy Pelosi. And quite frankly, that's the reason I voted against Good. Uh, the other bill on the January 6th commission, because there's already federal agencies, the FBI, the DOJ, uh, looking into what happened. Also, there's several Senate committees looking into what happened. And if I remember right, the sergeant-at-arms is looking into it. There's so many different studies going on. I don't think we need a political show to bash President Trump. Right, hardly being swept under the rug with all that going on, uh, and 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 I and I I understand what the I think I understand what the Democrats are doing. I mean this this was a this was a an event they wanted to seize on and turn into something. For the life of me, I have I have tried to figure out what the theme of January sixth riot was. I I don't think there was one. I think you can you can pretty much pour anything you want into it. We denounced it here immediately. But uh, to say that anything like this represents any anything like the conservative movement of the Republican Party is 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 to engage in absurdity. But that is my sense of what the Democrats are trying to do. They are trying to attach Republicans and the Republican Party and certain movement to January sixth. That is their effort, Debbie. I'm pretty sure of it. Well, I'm sure it is. I mean, they're trying to keep their majority in the U.S. House of Representatives. 
So quite frankly, they'll do anything and everything uh, in order to do so. Um, and you know, the, the thing is, it's already being investigated by multiple different uh, agencies uh, and actually Senate uh, committees and sergeant-at-arms. I mean, the appropriate people that should be investigating this. Um, we had, I mean, finally, we've had training uh, on the floor how to install these hoods on our <laughs> over our head. We never had training on that before. Oh, my. Or, or you know, so... Uh, so I guess if anything good has come out of this, we're actually getting trained on what we should do if there is an emergency again, and because uh, we never did. Members of Congress never got trained on that before. We have these bags in our offices that are like go bags, but we haven't been trained on that. So I actually asked my staff uh, to get full training on all of this, including how to in, you know put on a... Uh, a hood for oxygen and all kinds of things because, you know, it's totally important to do, to be prepared. Yeah, no, I had no idea. All right, talk to me about another issue, Debbie, uh, that um, that is uh, being raised again by Donald Trump by, by dint of going to the border, as he did in Texas today. Um, it's probably would have had a little more news and a little more coverage had Kamala Harris not gone. But then again, I'm not so sure. I mean, you know, I can see what the media is doing here. They're making Bill Cosby the big story, not the border. Um, But Donald Trump did go to the border, and there is a crisis there, despite what the Secretary of Homeland Security says, isn't there? There certainly is a huge crisis at the border. I mean, everybody can see it. Of course, the mainstream media doesn't want to talk about it. Although, I was surprised. I was watching NBC Nightly News last night because, you know, I just want to see what other people are watching. And they actually did talk about the border uh, a a little bit. And uh, they actually talked about the um, origins of COVID, too, which I was surprised they talk about that as well. Uh, you know, it's a huge uh, crisis. I mean, and it, it doesn't make any sense. We already use taxpayer dollars to pay for a border fence. There's materials lying there that aren't being put up because Joe Biden uh, on day one said stop building the fence. Even though we already paid for it, the materials are laying there. So thousands and thousands of illegals are flooding across the border. It's They're paying cartels. So basically what Biden and the Democrats are doing are they're funding the cartels. That's what they're doing. They're funding the cartels, uh, you know, and and uh, the the human trafficking, sex trafficking, rape of women, fentanyl crossing our border, killing American citizens. This is the Biden border crisis. And it is all of because of his policies, the Democrats policies, And quite frankly, I believe it's a strategy. This isn't just like, oh, you know, we just, you know, love people or something. This is a strategy by the Democrats. And I can only guess what their end goal is. I suspect that they want more. They think these people are going to be their voters in the future. And uh, that's the only reason I can think of that they would want uncontrolled, unlimited illegal immigration. Because that's what they are promoting. Well, it certainly was during the campaign, and then they seemed to be surprised that people were actually listening to them um, and uh, people south of the border. I I, I guess the question um, that then naturally arises is what's the out here? Is there anything we can do? Can Republican governors – I guess Abbott is is engaging in in an effort in Texas. Can Republican governors try and complete certain parts of the wall? Uh, Are we urging that or are we urging – 
urging uh, some patience uh, until until November or next, in which case we can ideally regain the levers of legislative power. Well, I applaud uh, Governor Abbott from Texas to try to do everything he can do. I mean, when we remember back, I think it was Jan Brewer tried to do the same thing with yep. SB 10, yep. uh, 1070, which I was a co-sponsor of uh, Senate Bill 1070, and we tried to enforce uh, the, the border security because the federal government wasn't doing it under Obama, just like they aren't doing it now. And um, it's 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 a disaster. I mean, it's, it's their responsibility to enforce our laws. Mm -hmm. This is our laws. They don't enforce it. They just want all these people to come on over, give them uh, free health care, uh, give them stimulus checks, uh, have them go to our, our schools. Um, but meanwhile, you're having people getting raped, women getting raped, girls getting raped, um, kids getting abused. Uh, this, this is a total catastrophe. And I have to tell you, I had the uh, good fortune of visiting with President Trump up in uh, New Jersey, oh, what was it, a, a couple weeks ago. Uh -huh. and, um, and I actually brought up to him at that time, I said, hey, wouldn't it be something if you went to the border before uh -huh. Kamala Harris went to the border? Uh -huh. And he probably already had it in his plan. Oh, I no, no. Know. But then, yeah. then sure enough, there he, may, he may have said to the yeah, border. He may have said, if one more person tells me to go, or if Debbie said, no, that, <laughs> Debbie, you're great. I love it. Um, well, my, ba my bad we well, haven't talked in so long, so I'll try and remedy that. But thank you for joining us. And may, um, thank you. may you continue to uh, continue to have your strength grow stronger and stronger. Debbie Lesko, God bless you. Thank you. You betcha. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. For all your roofing needs, I want you to check out and call Trades Unlimited, whether it's a new roof, whether it's a roof repair, whether it's a recoat. Speaking of re recoats, they want me to tell you about how great foam roofs are here in the valley, helping protect from the extreme heat, but also from exterior noises and, most importantly, from water leaks. I know the folks at Trades Unlimited. I've been down there and met with all the all the folks over there. I've also hired them and used them for my own house. I can honestly say I am more than impressed with this company. There is a reason they have an A-plus rating at the BBB. Trades Unlimited is about quality and service. And you can expect the highest level from them. Right now is a perfect time for foam recoats. Don't wait until it's too late. Call my friends over at Trades Unlimited at 480-483-1775 or find them online at tradesunlimited.com for all your roofing needs. I was sent this story um, out of uh, Axios today. Uh, it came out yesterday from Axios um, boring news cycle deals blow to partisan media. Kind of interesting. Um, you understand why the media love to bring and define every story by Donald Trump, because as he well knew, he was a magnet and an attraction. But the problem I just want to highlight for people, because they read these things quickly and get a sense of, uh, of, of, a, of a major story, without uh, of a forest but they don't understand that the trees are kind of rotten and here's here here here's here's how i'll explain that uh this axios report says 
web, web traffic, social media engagement, and app user sessions suggest that while the entire news industry is experiencing a slump, right-wing outlets are seeing some of the biggest plunges. What do they consider right-wing, you might say? What's a right-wing outlet? I'll tell you what I would have thought a right-wing outlet was. I would have thought a right-wing outlet would have been some kind of news site I'd never heard of based on some group I've never heard of with beliefs that I would never probably consider as appropriate. No. They say far-right outlets include organizations like The Federalist. Are you kidding me? The Federalist? The Federalist to them is a far-right outlet. Okay, there you go. They also define lefty outlets, and then they describe mainstream outlets. Guess who's in the mainstream? New York Times is in the mainstream. When the New York Times is mainstream and the Federalist is far-right, the story of the forest here fails because it's built with rotten trees that are fallen. That analogy work? I don't know. We'll see. You tell me. I'm Seth Liebson, 602 508 0960. Be right back.